Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're thrilled to have Ryan Glasgow here, who is the founder and CEO of Sprig. Sprig are friends of user interviews, and we always love having our friends on the podcast. So, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're going to be talking about getting started with in-product research, which I know is something that a lot of people are thinking about right now, whether PMs, product people, researchers, uh, whoever, and so uh, lots to dig into. Got JH here, too. Yeah, we've obviously recorded a lot of episodes now. I'm somewhat surprised we haven't gotten into this kind of topic before, so I think it'll be a good one to explore. Yeah, it's funny. When we started, we're like, how many episodes can we get through on UX research? And we just keep going and finding new topics. So that's been been a lot of fun. Okay, so in product research, let's start from the beginning. You know, it's, researchers are always focused on the why question. So why in product research? Why is it a good thing? Why does it matter? What are the benefits? Yeah, a great starting point for today's discussion. And my background's in product management. And really, when I was at Weebly as the first product manager, we were quickly growing to 50 million accounts, and we built out the product management team and the research team. And what I noticed is that our research team and also the product management team was spending a lot of time on pre-launch research, the generative research, getting those mock-ups and designs in front of the teams, uh, the customers, and we were actually getting really great insights there. But I noticed that when we would launch something, we often didn't really have the mechanism, the capabilities, the tooling, the the techniques to really understand what happens post-launch. And so when you really ship something out into the wild to all of your customers and, you know, radio silence, you don't get that feedback loop. You're not learning. You don't know how that was really perceived by those users in the wild when they're using their products. That's really the, in the area of the market that I felt like there was, uh, the market was mostly unsatisfied. It was really uh, an opportunity. And so when I started Sprig, the time we were called user leap, and we're really focused on that specific problem of giving Anyone who's doing research, uh, product managers, researchers, designers, really the tooling, the capabilities to learn from their customers after they've launched something. And so in product research is really about meeting your users where they're at and really hearing from them in a more contextual manner than maybe a traditional email survey. And so we're all used to getting those dreaded email surveys of maybe a lobster, a red lobster gift card for $25 to (laughs) fill out a 50 question email survey, but it's not really attached to the experience of when someone's using that product. And so in product research is meeting your users where they're at as they're signing up for that product and completing that onboarding flow. You want to understand maybe that moment, maybe their user interviews for the first time, and they really have their first conversation with a participant. That Those are those key moments and really building that bridge and connecting that gap between the people building the products and the people using the products is really what in-product in research is about. How would you define in-product research? So you're kind of describing some intercept stuff here. Is that the crux of it? Is it more things? Like does A-B testing count? Does session replay stuff count? Or how do you kind of draw the boundaries or define that sort of concept? When we look at research, I define it as really user sentiment. So user thoughts, feelings, emotions, and how someone's perceiving a particular product. And you can't really get that with A-B testing. And you can't really get that with watching someone use your product. Just because someone rage clicks, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily unhappy with your product. But if you ask them, are you unhappy with the product? And they say yes, then to me, that's really research. Mm -hmm. And so within product research and how we perceive it and define it as Sprig is more focused on really measuring and understanding both quantitatively and qualitatively 
how users are really thinking, feeling, and perceiving the products that you're building. So when we're talking about in-product research, it's in the name. The research is, you know, it's happening in the product. And a lot of times things happening in the product can get, they can get a little territorial or they can get a little just difficult to make things happen, right? We're in product, we need engineers, engineer time is scarce. Who is in product research for and how do these different stakeholders who might want to, you know, do it, go about making it actually happen? We really based on the company size. So some of our customers that are smaller businesses, maybe quickly growing that don't have researchers yet, uh, it's going to be the product managers, designers. But as these companies quickly grow, that's where the researchers are really going to step in and they're going to be bringing Sprig into their research programs as a way to really complement the other types of research that they're running. And so Google and Facebook have been doing intercepts for 10 years plus. You know, they're probably the pioneers in the field of intercepts and built all their homegrown tools. But at Sprig, we're really focused on bringing in-product research to everyone else except for you know, Facebook and Google that don't really have those in-house capabilities already built into their infrastructure. Right. And so what we've been able to do is make it really simple where after embedding a small piece of code into your product, anyone non-technical can really define and configure and set up in-product research experiments uh, with no engineering effort. And with just a couple of clicks, you know, usually five or 10 minutes, actually get one of these running and live in their product experiences, uh, usually in a matter of one to two days, really complete these experiments and get those research insights that they're looking for that ultimately answer those questions that they have. A little bit of a quick tangent, I'm sure we'll get more in detail later, but you talked about the in context and the intercept and immediately my mind goes to something I think a lot of marketers think about, which is... The benefit here is clear, right? It's in context. You don't have to take them out of what they're doing to get this insight. How do you do it in a way that doesn't annoy them or get in their way or like get in the way of other goals you have, which are presumably like to use the product, right? (laughs) To do something else. Yeah, we get that question all the time as well. It's something that we've thought deeply about. And the two main approaches that we've taken is that all of our templates, we have over 75 templates, they're all really designed to be, uh, and we encourage all of our customers to really have in product research at the end of a flow mm-hmm. or when someone abandons the flow. And so if you're in the middle of the signup flow, you're in the middle of onboarding, you're watching a video, you're listening to a podcast, you're in the middle of your Uber ride even, we really discourage sending these intercepts in the moment. Right. But when someone completes that podcast, or maybe someone completes that user interview or they complete that onboarding, that's really a great stopping point to pause and check in and say, how was that experience? Mm -hmm. Conversely, if someone starts the onboarding flow or maybe clicks out of the podcast or maybe exits the application, that's also a great opportunity to hear from them and say, you've abandoned the flow. Help us understand what happened and why you abandoned it. Is it something with the product Or maybe there's something that was outside of the product's control that really prompted them to do that. And so all of the research that we recommend with our customers and here at Sprig is non-intrusive and really in moments where it's a good stopping point to check in with those customers and see how they really feel and think about what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like almost like when you're going to interrupt somebody in real life, there's like polite moments to do that when they're, you know, it can be a little Mm -hmm. bit more amenable to it. It's like you can kind of almost draw from sort of that type of... uh, framework. In terms of like when you do interrupt and throw an intercept, are there best practices around 
how many questions you should be asking them, like how how long of an interruption it is. And I'd also imagine there's an interesting like qual versus quant thing here where you can get some structured responses, but you can also get some open ended stuff. And how, how do you kind of um, see people taking advantage of, of those different capabilities? And, and what do you recommend there? And it's been helpful now just looking at all of the across our entire platform, you know, the number of responses we collect, the number of surveys. We've done a lot of analysis of really the best practices. And what we have seen is probably about a 20% drop off for each question that you add. And so all of our templates, you know, um, they're typically to the end user going to be two or three questions. They're with skip logic, the template overall might be five or six questions, but for the end user, usually two or three questions. And what we've seen to get the highest response rate is you always start with a quantitative closed question. Mm-hmm. And so how is the onboarding experience on a one to five scale? And it's really a way to open up that conversation. Let someone answer an easier question. You know, they click a button. They've then just ready that experience. But then the second question might go into the qualitative to really ask, why was that a great experience? Or why did you abandon that flow? Or why was that a negative experience? And we found that when you start with open-ended, it's actually a much lower response rate. Uh, you know, if someone's maybe has to think now, kind of a cold start problem, what do I say? How did I actually perceive that experience? But you can actually start in a more subtle way uh, with the quantitative and then follow up with the close, the open-ended. And then from there, you can decide, do you want to go back to, to open or closed? Or maybe ask, can we reach out to you for, with more questions? Uh, maybe set up some time, you know, one-on-one and really start that conversation. Sort of the format you see with like an NPS survey, right? Pick a number and I'll tell me more, right? So you get the benefit. If they drop off at the quality, at least you got some numerical, you know, information you can can use later. Great. So there's so much that you can do with in-product research based on some of the benefits that you've talked about. For folks getting started, right, how do they avoid sort of boiling the ocean and, you know, start with something useful and uh, easy to maybe get off the ground first? What's your recommendation there? What we always recommend and have seen work best is really just pick a question, whether it's a product question, a business question, a research question, that your immediate team, your specific immediate counterparts, that product manager and you know that squad of engineers, or uh, maybe that researcher, that specific question that you know, she's looking to address, but something that's very immediate and has some urgency over the next four to six weeks. And the difference with in-product research is that you can actually collect the data and complete the study in that one to two day period if you have enough users, you know, usually at most a week. And so you can actually look at questions that your peers or yourself are facing uh, in the immediate term, as opposed to some traditional research techniques like a diary study, you might need to actually look at a challenge or question that is many months into the future. And so really recommend something that's really right in front of the team's nose and really looking at that question or a business challenge and then running an end product survey. And a great way to start for inspiration, we do have over 75 templates written by our in-house research team uh, using all the best practices with in-product research. And if you look through those, you can see things around usability, around product quality, around onboarding, sign-up flows, marketing websites, and just picking one of those. And we actually run, ran one on our website the other day, and I just picked a template and clicked mm-hmm. run. And it was live. We were collecting data you know, in a couple of minutes. And that was so a really great inspiration there to get started. But ultimately, like I said earlier, of going down and looking at the successful path. So people that do use that feature successfully, they do add that product to their store. 
but also maybe the people that are unsuccessful, they start adding a product to their store, but they cancel or close out mm -hmm. and running those in product surveys for both of those flows to hear in both cases, the successful happy path, what worked well, but also the people that clicked out and abandoned what didn't work well. One example that we have is Chipper Cash, which is one of the largest fintech companies in Africa. They launched a new crypto, you know, a way to trade crypto, you know, buy crypto. And what they noticed is that there was a very low adoption. And you know, they're considering using in-product research. And we said, hey, let's just ask people, are you aware that this feature exists? Do you know what crypto is? And what they found out is that they were able to increase adoption by nearly 200% by just figuring out that people didn't even know the future existed. Mm. And so it was really an awareness challenge of saying, let's actually figure out how to improve the product marketing visibility and awareness of this feature so that people know it exists. And then that was able to then increase the adoption for that feature. And that was a great example of a very kind of immediate, urgent question that they had that within product research, they were able to answer and address in just a few days. It sounds like in that case, the research was actually driving an optimization in itself, right? You both learned what the issue was and were maybe creating some awareness from asking the question, right? So it doesn't always work that way, but it's nice when it does. Exactly. One. Yeah. Yeah. I like the emphasis too on focusing on like the speed component of what's a near-term decision that you're wrestling with, because this is a methodology that's going to allow you to get signal really quickly. So like there's kind of like Beyond just finding a use case, it's like you get the immediate loop, too, of seeing the value uh, right off the jump, which is great. The question I'd uh, have next is sort of, I'd imagine other people who are getting started with this might be familiar with other methodologies and things that come up there are often like, well, how many people do I need to talk to? How do I screen them and make sure I'm talking to the right folks? How do you think about those concepts with in-product research? Do you want to like target certain segments of users? Do you want to get just as many responses as you can? Or do you want to limit it so you don't interrupt as many people? What sort of advice do you have there for people getting started with this? Certainly moving beyond some of the less targeted in-product research most of us are familiar with, like NPS, it shows up for everyone. It shows up globally. You know, next time you log into a product, you might see that NPS banner asking you to rate it on a zero to 10 scale. What we recommend, and I think where the world is moving, is just hyper-targeted in product research. And so I think it's really critical to have those targeting capabilities and say, I only want to target you know, admins on our enterprise plan who have maybe used our product for more than three months, and they just launched a study uh, in our product for more than five times, and really look at maybe a specific group and get very targeted about understanding the nuances of what that group is thinking or how they're perceiving that particular moment of using that product. And some of the ways that we think about really distributing the responses across the user base is a resurvey window. And so it could be set you know, in the platform of seven days, 30 days, 60 days, some of our customers do 180 days, so six months. Mm -hmm. And what this allows you to do is actually just evenly distribute the survey collection across the user base so that even if you get really targeted and go to a specific group, but you keep going back to that group, uh, you end up not really over-surveying a particular audience. And it is a little bit different than email surveys where you might send it out to 10,000 people or 5,000 people and so many responses you get. It With the in-product research, it is able to run until you reach exactly the stat sig. And so because the system is able to calculate of that admin users who are on the enterprise plan, who have launched more than five studies 
in the past 30 days, it's a, you know you can actually the system can actually calculate there are 2,500 users that exist on a 30-day rolling period in that cohort, and for us to reach a 95% confidence interval, we're going to need 385 responses, and the survey can then run until it reaches exactly 385 responses, and then be marked as complete, mm. and then actually you can look at those results and feel really confident in those results because it's all built into the platform of getting the exact number of responses that you're looking for. You talked about using in-product surveys across different journeys, different sort of life cycle stages, and onboarding or specific features, different users. Do you ever use it for more sort of generative research, uh, like to just open-ended, I want to get a sense of what should we build next or to get some ideas going? Or is it really most useful for that, as you mentioned earlier, that sort of what happens post-launch and how do we drive adoption? Is it is it mostly useful there or are there other ways to use it that are maybe a little more generative? There are some use cases that we're starting to see. And we do have a category of templates now around uh, recruiting. And so people that want to recruit from their current customers is a, a growing use case. And so if you there's a specific group that you want to reach out to, you can deliver an in-product survey asking, hey, You've already set all the targeting in place. You've already gotten it down to a specific group. And we want to talk to you for 20 minutes or 30 minutes about a specific topic or show you something that we're working on or run an idea behind by you. But at the same time, a lot of our customers, ourselves as well, also want to use uh, other means and talk to prospective users, do market research, talk to people that don't use their product. And that's where we're really excited about the user interviews integration with all of you and thinking about how you can use concept testing with Sprig to test mock-ups and ideas and what you're going to build next, but also reach out to people that might not even use your product today and really source those people and, ha- and set up those conversations. And so it is more for the evaluative research, mm-hmm. but there is that small but growing use case in the recruiting to me facilitate some of those conversations that can happen in the generative research. Nice. Um, I was just looking through our notes. I know you had an example in here about how you can do some more sophisticated things with this, where you can start to kind of pair the in-product research with something like an A-B test, right? And get some like qualitative signal on those results. Could you maybe share how you think about that and, and like what some of the utility is there for the more advanced people in this world? Certainly an issue use case that's starting to emerge is you know, any company at scale or quickly growing is going to be feature flagging or A-B testing the changes they're making to their products. They need to know, is it having a positive impact on the metrics, the business conversion, there's potentially a negative impact. And what we've seen research researchers really get excited about and really adopt in-product research for is integrating the in-product surveys into the A-B tests. And we've all had that experience. You go to cancel a service and you can't find the cancellation button or... You have to call in and there's only a two hour window or maybe someone makes a product changes in a way that is adverse to your experience and you have a negative experience and you know there might be running a b tests and the a b test is really the north star for a lot of the product teams today but what we see missing and i think many of us really yearn for as even end users of products is that these products are actually curious about how we perceive the change you know, do are we happy that the cancellations button is missing to cancel that subscription? Or are we happy with that new redesign, even if it's improving the conversion 
of that product or maybe helping grow revenue for that business because ultimately we're the ones using the products. It's fitting into our lives. We're the ones often paying for the products. And so we've seen a lot of researchers actually start to integrate in-product surveys into each of their A-B tests that they're running. And if an A-B test might look to, you know, perhaps like a new redesign is being rolled out and they're looking to understand, is this redesign going to improve the experience for the end users? They might go into Sprig and run a usability survey and see, is our users perceiving this new redesign as easier to use uh, than the previous version? And they're able to then combine the research data, the user sentiment alongside the business conversion. And a lot of researchers now are actually bringing that data to their teams and saying, hey, we ran this A-B test and it might have a positive business impact, but our users are actually less satisfied with that change that was made. Let's actually dig in a little bit more before we really roll this out and move forward. Because that user sentiment, if it's negative, will have long-term detrimental impact to that business's growth even though that business conversion data might have a short-term upside and positive impact, it might ultimately drive those users away uh, over longer periods of time. Mm. So it's a more advanced use case that you know I didn't expect and I think is getting really interesting in the world of in-product surveys is really kind of combining that sentiment data with the conversion data. And it really helps ultimately deliver an improved user experience that is the users prefer as well as improving that business impact. There's got to be so many interesting things there. I just like anyone who's done a lot of A-B tests, you're going to have an example, you know, where you, you were really excited about the new variant in the test and you see the data and it's kind of like flat, like there's no clear thing there. I, if you had that qual signal, I bet there'd be times where you see like really positive response to the new version, but there's like one thing missing or something, mm-hmm, right? That you overlooked mm-hmm. and like, instead of calling that test, a, you know, a loss and rolling out the control, you probably could just iterate on it and, and find maybe a significant win. So it seems like a really cool combination. Great. So we've talked a little bit about in-product surveys and research and how you can layer that together with A-B testing and some other methods for, you know, more complex use cases. What about when when not to use this? When is this, you know, the wrong, the hammer for the nail and the wrong tool for the wrong question? You know, when do you want to think about maybe visiting some other methods? Certainly when you have those bigger questions that require deeper discussion, more fidelity, you know, nothing beats face-to-face, talking to a customer over Zoom, talking to a customer in person, you know, actively watching them use your product and asking those questions along the way. Uh, when there's usually larger challenges that need to be solved, uh, larger strategic questions in particular, should we enter a new market? Should we launch a new product? That's really the power of generative research. And it could be a diary study. It could be thinking around setting up you know, five or 10 moderated discussions with those customers and in-product research is you know, certainly a complement to the, the data sets that teams are getting today, but by no means a replacement by a lot of the traditional techniques. And going back to the founding story, I saw really great sets of tools for the moderated, you know, for the recruiting, you know, for connecting with prospective customers and panel provider you know, customers, uh, such as user interviews. Um, and so really focused on that post-launch evaluative phase uh, with, you know, the Sprig's core product of, of in, uh, in product surveys, but there's certainly other techniques and, and that's where there's a lot of other great tools for those other techniques mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. certainly an area that we're not looking to really tackle or say that we're an all-in-one research platform. It's right. really just one pillar of research. 
we did though get a lot of interest from our customers about moving into thinking about the evaluative research, but for their next big idea mm-hmm. and thinking about mm-hmm. I'm working on a new design, I'm, I'm looking at a new concept test and you know, want to hear from you know end users, prospective users for maybe a panel about what people perceive this new design to be mm-hmm. before we actually start the development and start writing the code. And so that did prompt us to launch a concept testing and usability testing solution in Sprig. And we launched that in August. And that's really an opportunity for our customers to not only look at, we launched something, let's see what users think, but we're going to launch something. Let's see what our customers think about what we plan to do and really kind of narrow it down. And so we've looked at the research journey and really broken it down into four different steps from idea to uh, having something in the hands of your customers uh, versus the concept testing. So really, what is the right way to solve this problem? Really, let's put all the different solutions on the table. Uh, usability testing, we've really narrowed it down to a single solution. And we want to test different ways to solve this specific solution, maybe different user experiences, different designs, different approaches of how to solve that problem. And then the in-product surveys, so integrating into the feature flags, the uh, A-B testing, as you start to roll that out, how are users perceiving that change that you're making? Is it well-received by those end users? And then lastly, the continuous learning. And so running continuous surveys to really measure that existing experience that's already in place that maybe you're not actively working on, but you might be thinking about what are the areas that we want to really tackle next as an organization? Mm-hmm. And that could start to surface some of the challenges and where you want to focus. That's great because as you were talking earlier about, you know, you can run an in-product survey, like let's say you you know you want to focus on onboarding and so you can get some insights there. There's also the you don't know what you don't know problem of, you know, like where should we focus next? What opportunities are we missing because we aren't paying attention to them? And it sounds like some of that continuous research could be really useful there. Yeah, exactly. And and getting those constant continuous insights is uh-huh. you know, what I was looking for as a product manager prior to right. Sprig. And a lot of researchers that we talked to want to deliver more continuous insights right. to mm-hmm. their counterparts. Um, and that's where the in-product research is powerful. But also sometimes you just want to go deeper and have those conversations. And that's where, this, again, nothing beats the the live conversations. Yeah. We're hearing a lot of, you know, Teresa Torres and her work around continuous research and it's been around, you know, the concept's been around for a while, but we're hearing a lot of buzz about that right now. And there seems to be growing interests and momentum around continuous research. Are you seeing that too? Any theories on why that might be? Absolutely seen that on our end as well. And if you think about 15 years ago, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, how we've shifted to continuous development and continuous deployment. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember going to Fry's Electronics, you know, as a kid and, you know, buying a uh, software, you know, on a CD or a DVD and coming home and, you know, installing it, you know, on the computer. And, you know, next year you decide, do you want to get the new version or do you want to skip that version? You know, do you want to buy the upgrade? And, you know, when you think around where software is today, changes are happening to products you know, every day, every hour. And when you think around the re- learning loop, the research loop, it's often six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, the more that we can really compress that loop. Mm-hmm. And so you make the change, you learn from the change, you make the change, learn from the change. You're ultimately going to 
have compounding improvements of your product if you can tighten that loop. Yep. And so I think Teresa Torres is really a pioneer in the space of really encouraging continuous discovery and continuous learning and how you know we can actually all learn from our customers and our users ideally as fast as we're changing our products. Mm-hmm. And so those te- techniques that she has been talking about have been really interesting and certainly uh, something that we're really excited about and, and have been promoting as well. Nice. Yeah, it's been a cool trend. I have a random kind of use case that came to mind. I'm curious if this is something that people do with it as well. Uh, you know, we're talking about in product. What about like in marketing site? Like, do you do anything there where people, you know, you see someone leave the pricing page and you throw an intercept and maybe find out that there's something that was confusing or, or things like that? Do people use it in that way as well? That's a little bit more up the funnel, but still like contextual? We do. Uh, so Shift.com is one of our customers and they've been running in product research on their homepage on Shift.com. Mm-hmm. And really asking people right up front specific questions that they have. We're currently running in product surveys on our homepage. And you know, it's not just because it's our own product. We genuinely have questions about how to strengthen our messaging and our positioning. And so we're actually getting insights. And I late last night checked the data, looked at the results, and you know, had some interesting aha moments of you know what the users are telling us right from our homepage, mm-hmm. the the prospective you know visitors. And so certainly see it as a great use case up the funnel uh, to engage people as they're looking at those pages, as they're looking at pricing, they're considering whether to sign up, what are those hesitations, what are those blockers, what are those concerns, what's important to them in a solution, how are they evaluating solutions, can really unlock some breakthroughs for teams as they think about improving that homepage conversion. Cool. Yeah. So don't take the in-product labeling, I guess, too literally. There's lots of places you might be able to use this that are... uh... Get, get you useful insights as well. Everything's a product, right? That's true. Too, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, so as we're recording, you know, we're wrapping toward the end of the year. And when this uh, launches, it'll be the beginning of 2023. And so it's a good time to zoom out and think about, reflect and think about the future. And I'm curious, what are you excited about thinking about in the year ahead? Of course, you know, in tech, everyone's kind of thinking about the looming downturn and, you know, some some things around that. So I'm curious if you're thinking about that or more positive trends in research or where your head is and you think about the, the year ahead and, and research. More of the latter. Yeah. More of the latter. I think it's just exciting seeing, you know, what I'm seeing research 2.0, it really kind of emerging new tools, new capabilities, new techniques. People care about research you know, more than ever. And I think it's just exciting to be part of you know, the industry and really looking at what's possible and people, I think in a competitive environment, it's getting easier and easier to build products and solutions. And mm-hmm. every time I go on product time, I see, you know, 50, you know, 80 new products, you know, hundred new products every week. And you're just seeing no code and how quickly it is to build and bring new products to market. Everyone's getting funded these days, you know, $5 million seed rounds are not difficult to come by. But it is ultimately coming down to the battle for the customer and battle for the user. And that's where research is becoming increasingly more critical. And, and so I've been really energized by just the growth of the category and the growth of the space, the importance of research. Or maybe five or 10 years ago, people weren't doing it because they were the only product in their category. Mm-hmm. And now they might have five, 10 competitors that do exactly what they do. And really the, the path to winning, the path to be the category leader is through research as really that means to get there. And so I've been 
continue to be very optimistic and, and bullish on the category. And I think the macroeconomic headwinds, you know, will hopefully subside uh, in early 2023. And then we'll be all off to the races and, yeah. and back on track. Well, either way, you need research, right? So exactly true. Yeah, yeah. i'm excited for the uh user interviews sprig integration plug that while yeah, we're, yeah yeah it's, hopefully that'll be out in the wild by people by the time people it, listen to it this should stuff. be it's coming like this week right next week coming soon yeah. yeah i know the team is putting the finishing touches on it and our team has loved working with your team by the way yeah, just in you know shared slack channel in there working together on building yeah, that really and, cool and we use user interviews you know quite yeah. a bit and so something that we actually wanted ourselves and our customers all the time are asking for you know panels and so really excited about that integration and and partnering together yeah awesome. so if you listen to this check it out yeah check it out either of our sites should be promoting it awesome thank you so much ryan it's great to have you on the show thanks for having me yeah thanks it was a blast